Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Fortress of Comic News, episode 263. I am one of your hosts, Chris, alongside my magnificent co-host, Mike. What's up, Mike? Hey, what is up? Uh, Chris is not feeling well, but he's here to podcast for all of us lovely people. So let's thank him for that. Thank you, Chris. Um, it's a good old day. Keep to- working through the sickness. Decided to come and see if you were ready to record because I was watching the Red Sox lose nine to one. I'm like, well, fuck this shit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, dude, it's been it's a rough it's a rough year for Red Sox fan. Won't go too much into it, but uh, I will. Um, I will say, I you know the the big thing is always like it's it's preseason, but the season started so late that we're. I I don't think we can use that excuse anymore. They just suck right now and they need to fix something it was a very successful sports weekend for me yeah um sixers moved on uh Mm. eagles got aj brown one of the best wide receivers in the league right now yep nfl Uh, draft that was the thing Mm -hmm. um yeah and some good draft picks so I'm, i'm pretty stoked on sports i'm pretty stoked about the interview today because um if anyone has ever listened to this podcast for at least a split second uh, you would know that we talk about a specific Doom Patrol issue. Uh, this Doom Patrol issue, I believe it's issue 70. It doesn't take place directly after Graham Morrison. I think it's a few issues in. But um, the very talented and and uh, godly Rachel Pollock is on the show today, who created the greatest piece. super villain of all time. I won't say greatest because he did he did feature on our show back in the day as a shitty villain, but maybe greatest shittiest villain of all time, Codpiece. I said what I said, Mike. Yeah, I know you feel very strongly about that. <laughs> so this yeah, we're, a lot. Yeah, I'm putting him above the spot. Yeah, all right? that's pretty. That's crazy. <laughs> that's not like you. Um, yeah. So Rachel's on the show today. Uh, we'll talk with her. She doesn't do comics anymore. She does novels, but we are gonna break down cod piece and then put them all back together. Kind of like he assembles his giant cod piece. Um, so I'm excited for that. It's, uh, it's been a long time. time coming, you know, it's been over 200 episodes. It was bound to happen eventually. So pretty sure we're just going to retire after this. We're done, right? Like this is it. Mm-hmm. This is it. Yeah. We peaked. There's no, there's no going back. <laughs> um, and that's, that's pretty much it. I got my Doctor Strange tickets uh, for next week. Going to go see it next Friday. Pretty pumped for that. Uh, Taking my old man who's a Doctor Strange fan. Oh, all right. Yeah. That's interesting. Because he's not a big he, so comic he, fan, but he, he likes him. He likes... So when he was younger, he read comics. Actually, we've gone through the list of like... <laughs> big comics from when he was younger and mm-hmm. if he kept them all we'd be very very rich people um <laughs> but dr strange is one they always connected to he always liked uh fantasy and magic and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. character always connected so we went and saw the first one together so gonna take him to see the second one and he watches all the marvel movies like he's you know yeah it's not like he doesn't watch them so uh Little little fun fact. I don't know if you know Neil Gaiman is on tour. He just does like evenings with Neil Gaiman where he sits and talks with people. And uh, 
I had to go out to dinner for work last week and it was like, I, I picked, uh, like, so Proctor's theater is pretty packed during the summertime and that's where he was speaking. And I was like, you know, taking these customers out and I'm like, why the hell is it so busy tonight? And then I, I checked and I'm like, shit, Neil Gaiman is speaking tonight. Why didn't I get tickets? <laughs> and I had thought about like for a split second, ditching them to go. <laughs> Uh, Sorry, some folks, up. our business meeting is concluded. Uh, yeah, Neil I fucking game is here. <laughs> and like, I want to ask him questions like, who would win in a fight, like Batman or Swamp Thing? <laughs> 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 what do you think? Who do you think could beat Sandman in a fight? Yeah. So, how many times have you watched the Batman this past week? I haven't, dude. I haven't had three hours to sit down. <laughs> I started it. I started, I got to the first 10 minutes, and then I had to get up and do something. <laughs> uh, I am planning on rewatching it. I just honestly have had not had the time. Uh, I will. I, I'm going to rewatch it soon. Maybe even like this week, I'm hoping. So uh, you- same here. I worked like a 60-hour week this week. So okay. no time for anything other than Moon Knight because I have priorities. Oh, um, <laughs> but I did get the uh, the call from my father. Mm-hmm. Um, and the review was that thumb drive joke was kind of fucked up. And I said, yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. It was the funniest thing I've seen in a long time. Um, yeah. So that was some pretty good news this week. We'll talk about with Batman, but, uh, I, you know, everybody that's watched it has told me they really liked it. Cause you know, a lot more people have watched it now because, um, surprisingly people don't have four hours to spend in a movie theater. <laughs> uh most days so yeah i think it was well received by everybody that's watched it um and and i think uh i mean we'll talk about the news in a little bit so we do have some tv news um i don't see it on here but uh wb after this whole new ceo came in they started axing some uh some cw shows for good uh, I don't know. Legends of Tomorrow finally got canceled after season seven. Uh, they're talking about bringing uh, one of the shows. I think Lois and uh, are the Adventures of I don't know Superman and Lois. I think that's coming to HBO. They're either like canceling stuff and moving stuff um, to HBO, and I think Grant Gustin is on for one more season. At least that's yeah, I heard they were going to make like a half season to kind of conclude that as well. Yeah. Uh, with that, I do have some flashbacks from Pat, everybody. So I know you've been, uh, you've all been such good people this week. So let me, let me bless you with that really quick. Um, <laughs> it's funny because even he stops paying attention to the episode and then something happens where he like looked up and was like, what the fuck's going on? <laughs> uh, this is season eight, episode 12. Uh, so the, if everybody remembers the cool thing that happened last time was like death storm showed up. So they're trying to figure out how to stop him. He's on a killing spree. Iris is sick with time. Uh, still getting worse. Death storm keeps trying to kidnap Caitlin, turn her into a female death storm because he's lonely. Uh, so the best part of the episode, Barry's chasing death storm and starts throwing lightning and running on it, which like, this is a cool part. Like, he actually got excited for this. And that sounds pretty cool. Like, throwing lightning bolts and, like, running on top of the lightning bolts. And then Ride the Lightning by Metallica started playing. <laughs> Which, 
That okay, that was pretty cool. Is it worth like however many episodes we are to season eight? No. <laughs> no. Not at all. But I mean it's a cool scene. Uh I didn't need to I don't need any more scenes. Thanks, Pat, for the flashbacks, but also uh yeah, this uh this show needs to die. It needs to well, Did you see I didn't put it in the comic news either, but did you see that all these shows are gonna live on as comics now too, for the five oh, people still watching? Great. And I think honestly, maybe two of them read comics. <laughs> honestly, like if you look at the flash numbers, like we were talking about how they dwindled from like five million viewers to one million viewers, and that's low for a TV show. That's like the best numbers you'll see for a comic book. <laughs> so if you even get half of those people, like you won't. You'll get maybe twenty percent, which is still what two hundred thousand issues. I'd be shocked to get twenty percent. No, you won't. You probably get five percent. <laughs> Let's be I mean, Smallville went on as a comic afterwards. I think it lasted one season, maybe two. Yeah. Because they did it in seasons still. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that's hard, too. Smallville didn't have any... You didn't have any costumes in Smallville. So it was like, let's take this teen drama and move it to comic books and still not give anybody, like, you know, costumes, like normal comic books. I think they made him Superman after that. I just remember... Smallville being like the biggest cock tease in the planet. Yep. Like just almost there. Just getting me to the edge and then just not giving me what I want. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. What how did yeah, we don't even talk about that. That show was uh I could Lex Luthor was what made me upset about that show. I thought that guy was very annoying to watch. Um, okay. We do have some TV news. The Walking Dead spinoff featuring Daryl and Carol, Daryl Carroll, has hit a snag. Um, to be specific, Carol has left the series permanently. <laughs> Little is known to why, but AMC is now shifting, making the series a Daryl centric series in her absence. <laughs> Probably because Daryl was getting paid triple what Carol was getting paid because most people had to see Daryl. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, yeah. Who knows? But this is another show that just stop guys. What are you I, doing? Y- yeah. Like even I haven't watched the last season and a half. What's going on? Like you lost me. Then I will I, say I keep I, saying I'll go back and check it out, but I'm like, I don't, yeah. There's a lot of fans like the yeah. Watch Moon Knight. <laughs> a lot of the fans like the Daryl Carroll romance. Like they're into that shit. So they might even lose a lot of fans if Carol's not there. Yeah, I never got that romance either. It's weird. It's weird. I thought it would be hilarious if they just wanted to piss everybody off and make Daryl gay. I thought that would have been the the move. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That would have been phenomenal. Just the tier A trolling. (laughs) Um, Other than that, Daryl's just Daryl. Walking Dead in shambles. Nothing's new. Yeah. Um, This still won't. I mean, this won't affect the other two or three spinoffs they've been working on. I guess they still got a Negan spinoff coming. So, uh, boy, uh, the Harley Quinn animated series getting spinoff series for HBO max. The spinoff will focus around kite man as he teams up with golden glider. Now this is good news. Uh, I, and I saw this earlier in the week and I was like, damn, that reminds me. I got to keep watching Harley Quinn. Cause I'm on season two. That show is hilarious. Uh, and this is going to be even better because kite man is like a really good part of the show. 
Yeah, this might get me to check out Harley Quinn, just knowing that it's a prequel to the better series. Kite Man is amazing. You haven't yeah. watched it? I have not watched a single frame of it. There is uh, this old Jewish man that lives with her as like a roommate. I don't know if it's her or like her landlord. I don't even think he's a villain in comics, but it's voiced by Jason Alexander from Seinfeld. And it's That's probably phenomenal. one of the fucking funniest characters there's so many great people voicing, uh, like one of the guys from Kerber Enthusiasm just voices a talking piranha plant. That's like one of Ivy's plants. So like in the show, Ivy starts dating, Poison Ivy starts dating Kite Man. And Kite Man's like a, like, a, <laughs> like a really, like Ivy's like, you know, the badass bad girl and like Kite Man's like the, the like goody goody person. And it's so funny that they're dating. It's. That's part of season two, and it's fucking great. It's hilarious. It's it's really good stuff. Yeah, like the cast is good. It's just like it's what we always talk about. Like, I have a hard time getting past the Harley Quinn of it all. Yeah, me too. Um, but it's 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 making so many jokes about the DC universe. There's so many characters in every episode that you you like. You know, I, especially in season two, Harley has like a like a crew around her that and like king shark is one of them king shark is hilarious um clayface clayface really stays with the whole like struggling actor vibe and that's really funny who's lake bell lake bell apparently that's who voices poison ivy i don't know um ron funtress is in this show as king shark I'm watching it tonight. Yeah, dude. King Shark is hilarious. King Shark is one of the best parts of the show. It's funny because like you don't even like. And Diedrich Kaylee Bader Kiyoko, plays Batman. Yes. Yep. <sighs> and apparently, so like another thing about this show, one of the best episodes is coming up in season two and I haven't gotten to it yet. And it's known as like one of the best show, one of the best episodes in like animated DC stuff. And it focuses on Bruce Wayne. <laughs> so I can't wait to get to that episode. Diedrich Bader, Batman, Brave and the Bold or no, was that him? Mm-hmm. Brave and the Bold? Pretty sure. Yeah. The guy yeah. from, uh, the guy from the Drew Carey show. Yeah. Two tricks at yeah. one time, dude. Yes. Um, that's what he'll be known for forever. Everybody. So mm-hmm. don't make fun of me. <laughs> Yeah, I fucking love that show. When you say the dude from Kirby Enthusiasm, I want you to put some respect on that. We're talking about oh. J.P. Smooth. Sorry, J.P. Smooth. Yeah, I couldn't think of his name. J.P. Smooth is hilarious. I will be watching the show tonight. Yeah, see, Chris, you've been welcome. You've been christened. Uh, get it, Chris? And oh, man, I'm sorry. Chris has that, risen. Everybody. Yep. Uh, but yeah, check it out. It is funny. If you have HBO, it's. It's really good shit. Um, okay, you watch Moon Up Moon Knight episode five. I'm behind. I'm gonna catch up at some point. I'm also behind a better call, so I'm just behind on my shows. So you can uh, catch me up here. What what has happened? I fucking love this episode. Wow. Okay. This episode is strictly um, Oscar Isaac acting his balls off. Um, okay. It's a very Steven slash Mark centric episode. Um, I believe at one point we get a hint of Jake, but they don't really say it's Jake. Um, but Oscar is such a good actor that just his facial expression. I was like, 
that's a different guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah. it's a lot of. So this episode is basically the backstory of Mark and how he creates Steven. Okay. And why he creates, creates Steven. Um, I want to uh, congratulate Tom Payer on his performance as uh, Mark Spector's father. Um, <laughs> everybody who saw this episode now. understands that joke. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, it, Basically, they have to balance the scales so that they can ascend to the next plane um, and not be stuck in purgatory. By the way, I was correct. They're in purgatory. Um, Makes sense. It's just Egyptian purgatory. And so they have to go back in their past and figure things out. And that's when Mark kind of reveals to Stephen that you were created to heal, to prevent me from feeling the trauma of what happened in my life. And it's mm. zero Moon Knight, like almost no action, but just a phenomenal episode. Um, this kind of rocket that if as long as they stick the landing, this might become like my second favorite show just based on this episode. Wow. All right. MCU show, I should say. Okay. Awesome. Fucking awesome. Does he wear the does he wear the suit at all? There is zero Moon Knight in this episode. <laughs> you know, I should have known. You're talking to me about facial expressions and alter egos. I'm like, I didn't hear him mention at all. No capes. No, no capes. Fighty, no capes. Amazing Just... episode. Okay. Okay. I'll take your word for it, everybody. I'm glad you're all liking Moon Knight. I'm happy for you all. Um... Yeah, so this week uh, was the DC Films were at CinemaCon in Atlanta, which I don't know if CinemaCon is an open thing for civilians that aren't in the cinema industry, but I would love to go sometime. I think it was um, in Vegas this year, though. Oh, was it? Okay. I believe so. Uh, they showed off a bunch of new behind-the-scenes footage, some trailers. Uh, I did read some. I read some spoilers uh, for the trailers and the, the footage. Um, one big piece of news is that WB's officially announced they've greenlit the Batman 2, Matt Reeves, Robert Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz returning. So, awesome. That's what you want to see. Yeah. Is anyone surprised by that? <laughs> no. They made a bunch of money. Uh, I will say the stuff that I read about... Um, everything sounded cool. Like, the, the, the trailers and stuff. The, um, the whole Flash sequence they showed... Sounded pretty cool when I read about it. Um, obviously dealing with like Flashpoint. Uh, they talked about... They showed some scenes from Aquaman. No surprise there. Um, some footage. And then they talked... Like the Black Adam description was just like... Adam Smasher, Dr. Fate, Hawkman. It was just like showing characters. And I'm like that... That's still kind of concerning because that just means they don't have a plot. <laughs> <laughs> They're just like, we brought in all these cool characters. Look at them. Uh, so I guess I guess we'll see. I think, oh, the Shazam Shazam trailer dropped. It sounded pretty dope. Um, like, you know, Shazam versus Heather Mir- or, uh, Helen Mirren. So that's going to be friggin' dope. My uh, favorite part of that was all I read about that trailer was they made a Fast and the Furious joke, everybody. And I'm just sitting they- there going... 
Why do I care? <laughs> yeah, right. What? <laughs> cool. Um, they made a joke about another franchise. Yeah. Then this one's actually about superheroes. Um all in all, let's see. Let's see. Put your money where your mouth is, DC. Because I've I've seen some really cool trailers from you guys before. Looking at you, Batman versus Superman. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh yeah. One of the best I think that like for one of the best trailers I've ever seen, man, what a letdown. Uh honestly though, Man of Steel trailer was pretty fucking dope. If you guys remember the first little intro to Hans Zimmer's music too, like and the voiceover of uh um I wanna say Kurt Russell. Is it Kurt Russell? I'll say I still think Man of Steel got too harsh of criticism. Yeah. Um, I wish he didn't kill Zod at the end because that's not very Superman like. But other than that, like I thought that movie was pretty good actually. Yeah. Oh, that's a thing. Fucking Michael Shannon's back as Zod in the Flash movie. Yeah. Hell yeah. Like, dude, I things about Man of Steel, Michael Shannon stole the show. Like, man. What do you think are the chances? Because I was having this conversation. Um, what do you think the chances are that at the end of Flashpoint, they come back to current time and like Ezra Miller isn't Flash anymore and it's like somebody else? Like, Dude, let's say Grant Gustin. That'd be great. I Oh, my God. His contract's finishing up. Like, get him. Get him in the movie. Uh, yeah. yeah. I just feel like this... <laughs> They they're, Dude, they're gonna change too things. much of a train wreck. Like you need to get rid of them. Yeah. Um. And for the leaks that I'm seeing about like the screenings, that um, I don't know. You know, I'm reading. I'm reading stuff all over the internet. Don't know if it's true. That's why I'm not going to talk about a lot of it. People are saying that like maybe the last ten to fifteen minutes they could really adjust to get rid of Ezra Miller as as like they're changing things in the end of the flash movie, like, and it's becoming concrete in that last 10 to 15 minutes. So like they, it, it could just be a couple scenes where they're like, bam, you know, Ezra's gone. Uh, Mara's gone. <laughs> <All these> <laughs> <people>. <laughs> I don't know. Like DC's probably waiting to see who else fucks up before they release the movie. But like, <laughs> uh, yeah, it seems like Mara needs to go too, which is, infor- I mean, Hopefully they can just recast her because that's a great character. And what I if, just think what Ezra if, obviously needs help yeah, in some way, right. and he needs mm-hmm. to get away from all this crap. And you, as a as a movie maker and as a, a production house, need to get away from that fucking train wreck. And I will say this: I did read something about uh, test screenings or script for Aquaman and Mara. I don't know. Take this with a grain of salt, everybody. But she's maybe not even in the movie for more than 10 to 15 minutes to begin with. So that would make a lot of sense for why DC kind of just said, listen, she's only in the movie for 10 minutes. Let's just get this done, get it out of the way. And then she's out of our lives. <laughs> so listen, I guess we'll see. <laughs> DC, I'm telling you, everybody, everybody is recastable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So just look at, she's only just look there for at, 10 minutes. Yeah. Do what right. Snyder did and fucking find somebody and green screen them in. Yeah, Ex- yeah exactly. <laughs> Dude, I saw deep fakes online of like, there was a, there was like a YouTube video of like seven different deep fakes of 
actors' faces over Mara's. And like, I think one ended up being like Danny DeVito at the end. And even that looked fine. (laughs) Fantastic. Well, you saw Army of the Dead, right? No, I have not. I didn't watch it. So I'm not going to remember the woman's name, but one of the actresses in there was she was never on set. Mm-hmm. And she's the that. best part of the movie. Really? Because, yeah, the actor who played the other role had, I don't know, did something, fucked up in some way. Okay. So they had to get him. And so they brought in this other actress and it just put her in front of a green screen, had her read all the lines, and then digitally edit her in. And it's so phenomenal. It, you wouldn't That's even so know crazy. if I didn't tell you. Yeah. Um, okay, so from CinemaCon, we got some Sony news. Uh, another Spider-Man villain movie. This one's all about El Muerto to star Benito Antonio Martinez Ocasio, a.k.a. Bad Bunny. Who's uh, who's Bad Bunny? Is that like a rapper name or something? Okay. I don't feel as old now. First of all, okay. uh, was it El Muerto? Yeah. El Muerto. Nobody knows who this character is. El Muerto? Sorry. Yeah. Nobody yeah. knows. Even I the will. most diehard Spider-Man fans in the world would have to be like, uh, oh yeah, he showed up in the... Uh, I friendly. will say, I have a Hispanic comic book friend that is excited for this. I'm gonna just going to say it. He knows that who side of it, was. Yeah. That side of it I get. Yep. Cool. Yep. Good on you. I, had no, I have no idea what it is. From a publicity standpoint, <laughs> nobody knows who this fucking character is. I literally asked Spider-Man friends of mine and it took them a while to be like, Oh yeah. He showed up in like the amazing or friendly Spider-Man something, something. I'm like, wow. Deep. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I, I was going to put a joke in here saying that nobody knows who the character or the person is, but then I'm like, I'm an old man and maybe bad bunny is still relevant. And Mike knows who it is. Cause he's still like his hip with the kids. Um, <laughs> no way, dude. <laughs> no, not even close. <laughs> so I have no clue across the board. I wish them luck. Apparently, he's a not Bane Bane character because he has a luchador mask and is very buff. Mm. Okay, because you know Spider Man's the real Batman in the MC or the Marvel universe. Man, what is Sony doing? <laughs> Why can't Sony just like take like a million bucks for each character, give it to Marvel and just not touch those characters anymore. Let them do whatever the hell they want. Like just be like, here you go. Foggy here. You go. Here's everything. Just give us whatever percentage you think is fair and yep. we will do nothing. <laughs> nothing. And we'll just make a ton of money off your back. But no, yep. we're going to go make fucking Morbius and make a pile of shit. Um, Okay. Still mad Dr. Spent money on that money. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> Doctor Strange trailer, Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness trailer. I haven't watched this because I had a lot of people text me today and tell me there's spoilers. Uh, I'm going to let you be the judge and spoil what you feel like isn't too spoilery. But I, I was, I, so I'll say this about the first trailer. I wasn't even happy that they, I was happy, but not also kind of upset that they spoiled Patrick Stewart returning. So I don't know. I don't know. It's considered spoil spoilers anymore. Um, mm-hmm. cause uh, these things aren't really spoilers to me. Okay. Um, but if you really don't want to hear these, I guess skip like two minutes. Um, 
first of all, what if is like necessary watching. I do know that. Yeah. I'll say that right off the bat. Um, we get a glimpse of Captain Carter in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we get hints at the Illuminati in this. I have a feeling that the, did you finish what if? Oh yeah. So I get the feeling that that Avengers team, they assembled at the end, whatever they called themselves, um, is a part of this movie. Um, and then the big, the one I wish they didn't put in the trailer, but I'm going to talk about it cause I'm excited about it was somebody rolls up alongside the camera and you see this like smooth yellow edge that looks a lot like the wheelchair of professor X from X-Men, the animated series. Mm. Okay. So that might be a part of that. Just gave me multiverse. chills because man, like I, I knew it was professor X, but now that it's, X-Men 92 Professor X. So like this has nothing to do with the Fox Professor X. Makes it better, wow. right? That's fucking bold. Yeah, I got little tinglys going on in my hair follicles right now. Other than yeah. that, it's a lot of the stuff we already saw. They're in the multiverse. Wanda, this, this one centered more around Wanda. Mm-hmm. So it, it basically, I felt like this trailer did two things. It told everybody, watch WandaVision, which you should do anyways because it's amazing. And watch what if, because it's essential. And those are kind of the lead ins, the direct lead ins, at least to this uh, movie. Mm -hmm. I'm super excited for it, dude. If it's, if it's 92 X-Men professor X, I'm going to freak. You'll cry. You're not going to freak. You'll just weep tears of joy. I probably will. Yeah. Cause the only thing I cry at is comic book movies. Yeah, I know. And me too. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Okay, no crying, no crying on podcasts. So we're going to uh, jump to this interview with Rachel Pollock, and we'll see everybody on the other side. All right, everybody. This week we have a very, very special guest for you all. Somebody who's deeply ingrained in the lore of this sh- very show, created the greatest comic book villain of all time. I want everybody <laughs> to welcome to the show, Rachel Pollock. Hi, Rachel. How are we doing today, Rachel? Uh, thank you very much for that wonderful introduction. Oh, yes. And he's not joking. We tell everybody this, Rachel, that about Codpiece. Um, I think almost everybody we've had that works at DC on the show, uh, off camera, we're like, okay, the interview is great, but when are you going to use Codpiece? <laughs> really? Wow. How interesting. Yeah. See, I didn't know yeah. that that was well remembered like that. Yeah. Um, exciting. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and we love the character. Uh, we want to talk about it, but also we want to talk about your kind of origin in comics. And I know you kind of got away from comics a little more. You write, you know, prose, novels, that kind of thing now. Um, but kind of where did it all start for you? Well, you know, I mean, I've loved comics all my life. So I'm really, really old. <laughs> Important fact about me. <laughs> but I mean, I'm old enough that I actually got to read the original Captain Marvel in this last couple of years or so before it was put out of business, you know, it's not called mm-hmm. Sam. And, mm-hmm. and it was a really wonderful, wonderful thing. And it just stayed in my memory so much. And, you know, and otherwise I read the usual stuff. I read everything, you know. Kids back then read everything. You know, I read, yeah. uh, you know, Daffy Duck and Superman and Katie Keene. And, you know, just the only thing I didn't read was war comics. I never liked war comics. But otherwise, just, you know, Westerns. I mean, everything was done back then as comics. It was a shame that that's not the case anymore. 
And I just kept reading. Every time I would feel like, okay, you know, comics is kind of finished, you know. Something new and exciting would happen. Marvel would happen. And then uh, Vertigo would happen. You know, Alan Moore would happen. So I was always drawn to comics. And then, um, but I didn't particularly, I actually had fantasized writing comics. Um, after graduate school, I took a job teaching English at a college. And I hated it. Everybody hates those kind of jobs. And I wanted to think, you know, what I could do. Oh, no, no, I had a job at IBM. I really hated that. And so I figured, okay, what should I do? I will uh, try to see if I can get a job writing for Marvel Comics, you know? So I tried. They weren't hiring back then. They had, um, what's his name? The sidekick doing everything. <laughs> oh, Stanley's young. Oh, young, right oh yeah. Yeah, job, obviously. Yeah. Robin. <laughs> yeah, Robin. Yeah, Robin. Yeah. Anyway, um, so then I got the job teaching for a couple of years. And I just quit and went off to Europe. But anyway, but so one night I was giving a lecture on something, and, and, and people said to me, well, how did you get a job teaching? So I guess I was a bit different than the usual academic teachers. And I said, well, I tried to get a job from Marvel Comics, but they weren't hiring. And boy, <laughs> did that make my reputation in that school. <laughs> <laughs> It was like this gasp, you know. Oh my yeah. gosh! Wow, you know, it's so cool. That's so, yeah, yeah, that is awesome. Um, so I was always had an interest in it, but then some years passed, and um, I met Neil Gaiman at a, at a writers' conference, actually a retreat, which is a wonderful thing. And he was at that time he was, he'd sold one short story, prose, and he talked about wanting to get into comics, and he had um, the black and whites of a new comic. That you know, he said it was really great. It was called it was Watchmen by Alan Moore. So I was really hooked, and so I started thinking about what I might want to do. And I started thinking about graphic novels, and I had this idea. Mm. I was still hoping to do it these many years later, called um, Days of the Dead, uh, a fantasy based upon the uh, Mexican Day of the Dead. The premise of was the dead are all the time in the world of us. Just you know, they have their own subculture. Okay. Anyway, so um, so I was trying to figure what to do with that, you know. And then um, I was at an, another event, and Neil was there, and he introduced me to um, Stuart Moore from Vertigo. Vertigo was just about starting then, not not yet. Yeah. Uh, and I was telling him how much I admired Doom Patrol because Doom Patrol was something else set, you know, by Grant Morrison that totally renewed my excitement about comics completely. It just, I still think there's a work of genius, Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol. Yeah. Yeah. And, so I was talking to Stuart Moore. He said, oh, well, you should, uh, Tom Pyre, the editor, you should go speak to him. So when I spoke to Tom, and I was gushing a lot, and I said, well, you know, I said, uh, I, don't, I don't really plan to write comics, but if there ever was, ever was a monthly comic, I'd love to, I would be Doom Patrol, you know? Right. Just being a fan, you know? And he said, well, he said, uh, Grant's going to be leaving soon. You want to send me a sample script? <laughs> wow. And in the new collection, uh, I wrote about that, but... Um, Tom wrote about his part. He said he'd actually been really looking for someone. Yeah. And he was having a lot of trouble finding someone that would be willing to follow Grant because Grant was so amazing, you know? Yeah, it's hard to do. At all. But, you know, and then so he was actually excited to have someone want to do it. And he liked my script. And that became the first episode, the first, you know, um, chapter issue. Wow. Yeah. That's, and, and you actually, you co wrote with Tom on. New Gods, because I read that, yes. and that's, that's yeah. some really another good stuff. Dream come, another dream come true, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I, when I wrote my uh, introduction from the first episode of uh, Doom Patrol, I talked about geniuses in comics, and comics that were the work of genius. Not to say the person, but the, the work, you know? Yeah. So Captain mm -hmm. Marvel was one, and, yeah. um, you know, Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol was another, but also um, Jack Kirby's New Gods. 
Yeah. Which to me is just the most incredible work. You know, mm-hmm. it, it was rough. A lot of people thought, well, he wasn't a writer, and yeah, he wasn't. But mm-hmm. what he did was so deep out of the unconscious. You know, it was yeah, it really just was. amazing. So when Tom said you wanted to do new Gossing, I was so thrilled. You know. Yeah. And uh, Tom dropped out fairly early, and I continued. It didn't last too long. There was a whole big shakeup, and but a whole new team. But uh, I was just so excited to do that. And yeah. And also, I did an issue with Superman. That was fine. I got, I got to write an issue with Superman. <laughs> that was and and reading that New Gods run from you too. It you could tell you both really understand the characters and were having yeah. fun like using all of them right i mean you yeah. know, bringing metron into the fold and just like just having everybody on every page and it's it, it was yeah, a lot of fun to it was read. Great fun. and my whole thing about it was they thought that since uh, kirby a lot of people just kind of assumed they were you know super powered super those are more superpowers and that was mm-hmm. it yeah and i was like, well no they're gods it's a different thing being a god mm-hmm. than being a superpowered mm-hmm. human and i tried to really look at it from that point of view Yep. And they focused on a uh, high father who's great, great, you know, good, good mm-hmm. person, right? right? And what he did to his son. I mean, he gave his son to be reared by Satan, basically. Yeah, right, you know? right. Ordeal. Exactly. I mean, it was an amazing thing. So I really delved into that or tried to. It was, I, I had a great time doing that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it was a, it was a fresh perspective, too, for that, I think. Yeah. Um, okay. So back to Doom Patrol, because. Like you said, I well, Grant Morrison always takes like the wacky and gives it like a like a a realistic foundation almost sometimes. So I guess that's kind of what you did with Codpiece, right? <laughs> so like you you took this character that like when you see the full page spider be like, okay, this this is ridiculous, right? I know. And like, his whole or, his whole origin story is like he's just someone that has some really bad childhood trauma. <laughs> Well, you know, it's so interesting because, like, I was asked by the editor, um, I can't remember if it, was, if it was still Tom or it was Lou or it might have been Tom. Anyway, he times it was him. But anyway, I was asked to do a one shot so the regular artists could have a break. And I wasn't wild about that because I, yeah. I tend to think in big, like, arcs of four or five issues. Mm-hmm. But when I thought of what I wanted to do, um, it just came so completely alive. And a lot of people now, they focus on um, the introduction of uh, Kate, the transgender superhero, mm-hmm. was the first yeah. one ever. Yeah. Um, but Codpiece was the origin of it. Yeah. That's what, that's what I began with. I, oh, and I, yeah. so I've been thinking about um, Green Arrow. Yeah. And again, my history of being old and having read stuff way back. So Green Arrow way back was a sort of you know knockoff of Batman. Right, mm-hmm. Batman and Robin, Green Arrow and Speedy, um, yep. and his whole shtick was these arrows, right? But he had this little quiver, and that quiver contained a boxing glove arrow, a rocket arrow, fireworks arrows. <laughs> so, I'm sorry to see the connection now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I imagine. So what about someone like that? Then I just had this wild idea because sex was one of the themes of Doom Patrol. Yeah. That, oh yeah. Why not have have it be in a card piece, a cannon attached to his groin? Yeah. <laughs> well, well, why would he do this, right? You know, right, right. What is and his so, motivation? <laughs> yeah. And so, so the trauma. Well, she's in high school, and he says to some girl, "Why don't you go out with me?" And she goes, "Oh, I don't know. You're you're too short." Yeah. You know, and she walks away, yeah. and her friend says, "What'd you say?" She says, "Oh, I don't know. Whatever came to my mind." She's yeah. already forgotten what she said. You know. Right. But for right. him, it was this total trauma, and we follow him, you know, through a few years as he's growing up, and you know, and then the prostitute says to him. He goes to a psychiatrist, you know, this process <laughs> says to him, 
Well, if you're worried about, you know, being too short, why don't you just attach something? Yeah, I'll yeah. Do, okay, okay, I'll show. Yeah. So, so, he, so he creates this cannon. <laughs> and, you know, people say to me, um, did you have trouble introducing a transgender superhero? And I say, no, no, the whole issue was codpiece. Yeah, yeah. DC didn't exactly. care about the other thing because they're worried right. about what they could get away with codpiece, you know? Right, yeah, and so, exactly. And so we, we, you know, we checked with them and they checked with legal. And what they said was, as long as it wasn't too long. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. It's a riot, you know? Oh and my then God. the really oh. daring thing, of course, was they made a photographic cover. Oh, yeah. Oh Which, yeah! You know, these two women looking. Oh my gosh! Look at that guy. Yeah, look at that. Look it's at hilarious, that you know. Oh my god! It's a it's an amazing cover, and, <laughs> and it was and, yeah. You're gone. Uh, and I I mean like just reading it after the Grant Morrison run, like to <laughs> still have that to still have that like much enjoyment and like fun and like you yeah. said, do, like Doom Patrol's rooted with sex stories too. So it's like all of that, yeah. and it just hit the mark. It was so good. <laughs> um, and then you talked about introducing the new trans character too, the first trans character all in yeah. one issue, right? Yeah, yeah. And you, you kind of slid that by them. <laughs> well, yeah. One more thing about um, Codpiece was, you know, a while back I was saying, well, what if, if what, what I want, what if I want to do like another, you know, comic, regular kind of comic? And I thought, oh, I could have Codpiece return and be the leader of the incel movement. Oh, you know my who they God. are? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Voluntarily celibate. Yeah. And these people, these men, they have this deep, deep grievance against women. The grievance yes. is women don't want to sleep with them. Right. It's like, what? <laughs> it's yeah. Like, right. What yeah. the hell? You know? It's like, they think they're entitled to have any woman they ask have sex with. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so yeah. they have this, this deep sense of grievance about this, you know? So uh -huh. a piece would be perfect. That was his whole life, you know? Oh, my God. Yeah. You really, so yes, he is. Story. I love he is the story. He is the story. I, I would love to, like, hey, DC's got Black Label now. This would be the perfect setup for it. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, my God. I would read that book. I would buy 100 copies. <laughs> oh, my God. And he so is, I mean, he's the first incel, right? He is the first incel. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Wow. From well, where you sit, Rachel, they got the, the Doom Patrol TV series happening right now mm -hmm. that's following the Grant Morrison run. Yes, like they yeah. even did Flex Mentalo in it. It's just phenomenal to see that come to life. What are the chances you think that they will do a cod piece episode? Well, I would certainly hope so. You know, we'll also use some of the other stuff I created. It would be great, you right, know? Right. Um, well, you know, we'll see. I mean, so mm -hmm. it's going pretty strong, I gather, you know, and it's, it's yeah, great yeah. stuff. It's wonderful, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping they'll do that. That would be really fun. You know, and and when so when the issue dropped, what was like, what was the re was were people just like completely in awe about the issue or like? Oh, this was quite something actually. This is a kind of uh, I found it a little bit strange actually. Um, I had problems with some of the fans in various kinds of ways. I was too kind of you know obscure, or too surreal. I wasn't enough like Grant. I was too much like Grant. All, all kinds of things that people had trouble with, which, you know, fair enough. That's their, that's their attitude, you know. But so we wondered what would the reaction to the story, you know, both to Codpiece and to Kate. Um, and one of the odd reactions was several people wrote in to say that I was insulting them. Not them personally, but all of male fandom. Oh, they yeah. thought that Codpiece was a satire on male comic book fans. Oh, no. And I can actually understand it because I get so angry when I see yeah. this cliche on TV shows. 
Mm-hmm. And all comic mm-hmm. book fans are 40-year-old men living in their mother's basement and they're fat and never had a date. Right, you know? right. And that's, yeah. that's outrageous, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. It's outrageous. It's bigoted. So I can understand where they're coming from, but just like somehow had the idea that someone would see a super villain and think it's a satire on them yeah. was kind of shocking to me. Even like I said, I can get where they're coming from. You know, I really mm-hmm. can, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Are you saying this kind of stuff happened before Twitter? handwriting <laughs> <laughs> oh, letters come on what the yeah his <laughs> letters columns are quite fascinating actually i haven't actually looked at enough you know online letters columns in reproducing comics but the handwritten ones are quite interesting we got some really interesting letters and some very thoughtful ones there was one fan who was delighted on pointing out um my failures to oh, remember okay. um, continuity from 1962 or whatever, whatever oh. the hell year it was. You know? oh. <laughs> it was quite something. You're like, you know, we all, I and Tom and Lou, we, the editors, you know, we just kind of was, oh, yeah. him, you know, oh, here goes Charles yeah. again. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> He's going off again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote something, I wrote something recently. He also, he managed to, oh, something in Ahoy, I think it was. I can't remember now what it was, but mm-hmm. something where he jumped into. You know, wow, down, he came you know. back. Wow. Maybe, maybe I just was rereading Doom Patrol and I found the letter by him. I'd forgotten it now, but yeah. Um, <laughs> but then also, so, people are very personal letters. Um, some really wonderful ones. Um, I had this wonderful correspondence with this woman. I can't remember where she was from. And we had this great correspondence, you know, for several months, right? And then I get this letter from this guy. And he says, okay, he says, my wife is told me I have to come clean. So he was—he decided for fun to put on the persona of a woman fan and write to me, and I started oh. writing back personal letters, you know, just actual letters yeah. back and forth, you know, not yeah. comic. And and he kind of felt a little—he was like embarrassed to say uh, that was like a game, you know. He yeah, said, yeah. And, and but I didn't mind. I was just really, actually the letters kind of stopped. He, I think he just stopped writing, which is saying I love his letters. They're really fascinating, yeah. you know? Wow, that's super interesting. <laughs> and then someone else, a young fan in Texas, um, we still now going communicate after all these years later, you know? Wow, wow, that's yeah. so cool. And and once I introduced Kate, we ever now get these amazing letters, not too often, but one or two would just really make it all worthwhile, you know? Yeah. I write about this, and this one person who just wrote, um, no, no, no introduction, no leading. It just began. All my life, I thought I was wrong, and then she says, "You know, every night I would go to bed and pray to God to change me." And I woke up, and God never did. And uh, and then said that, um, and I only wanted, I was only wanted to die, but I was too afraid. And then now I realize I was, I was already dead, but didn't know it. No, but now because of what you wrote with Kate. And because of some reactions, some friends I told, I believe I can have a life. Isn't that incredible? Wow. You know? Wow, that is amazing. And I, I took that to one of the women who worked at DC. She worked in publicity. Um, lovely woman. And I just handed, I didn't say anything, I just handed her the letter. I said, read this, you know? Yeah. And she started crying. And I knew it was because of the story, but also it was because, you know, back then comics were still a fairly reviled field. Mm-hmm. The lowest kind of kind of creative work people could think of, you know? And so, and, but she and I, we knew that comics were great. and People were really committed right. to it, you know? But right, the right. outside world looked down on it so much. So the idea that something that we did in DC did in a comic 
could have that kind of effect in somebody's life was so powerful. You know, other people had the same reaction to it too. Or they showed their letter too. So I think that's a great way to kind of transition to, you were there for the early, not necessarily the early days, but you were there for some of the um, big days for Vertigo. How was like the, how was the room? How was the, the atmosphere? Was it just crazy wild west comics or, you know, what was going on when you were there? Well, I was, I was there at the beginning because, you know, one of the first comics that was Vertigo was when I took over Doom Patrol. It was a good place to transition from Grant, who was pre-Vertigo. Um, but there wasn't that much, in, from my perspective, there wasn't that much interaction with the other people. We all read each other's stuff, and, you know, I loved what was happening. Um, I loved, you know, Grant's further work and uh, Animal Man, all, all kinds of great stuff that was going on, you know. Um there wasn't a lot of like, there wasn't like the bullpen at Marvel Comics kind of thing, you know, so um, I had some contact with them at you know, DC and I would go to DC now and then. But it was a great atmosphere. Everyone was, you know, excited and people, you know, could be believed in what we were doing. We were having fun. Um, wild stuff. And it was great. And, and I know, uh, do you, so do you keep in contact with Tom? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I did a little bit of work for Ahoy Comics. Just yep. you wearing the T-shirt, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and which I really enjoyed doing. I oh, did that's... a uh, Edgar Allan Poe story, yep, a takeoff yep. in his Lygia, which I had so much fun doing. It was a bit like doing Doom Patrol in a way. Um, my idea was that Lygia is a porn is a porn story. Oh it's yeah, a, it's a yeah. snuff fantasy actually. <laughs> that's hilarious. And, yeah. uh, and then, but at one point, the fun part was um, Tom said it was getting a little bit too just following the stories and he needed to break something up and do something wild. So mm-hmm. I had him in his opium den. He's yeah. smoking opium and he's actually in a bar. Yeah. But he's imagining he's an opium den. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And, um, and so he says, but now imagine, imagine um, there was a box and this box could show us stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> um, right. They would be like scenes from a play or arias yeah. from an opera. Scenarios, you might call them. he's inventing the computer the internet basically you know yeah right and then then he imagines fan letters yeah oh yeah so first time oh my god mr poe this is the greatest thing in the history of the universe this is so wonderful this is so 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 wonderful but then perhaps it'd be some who would not be so faithful he starts imagining sniping fan letters and critical fan letters yeah they can do it much better than him (laughs) so exactly of course what we have in comics you know on you yeah right this and stuff so that was so much fun to do, and Tom is just great. Tom's a great editor and a friend. Um, I read that issue, and I, I remember where I was when I read that issue because I, I, I was on an airplane, and I got to your story and the Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> I was like, I was, I was like laughing, and like, and it was, it was just a great time. But I'm like, I'm wondering, like, someone looking over my shoulder right now, like seeing a strung out Edgar Allan Poe smoking opium and talking about. <laughs> I studied Poe in, in college graduate school and okay. I never liked him that much. I always thought he was overdone. You know, I thought he was overrated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he always was dropping his hints of mm-hmm. his opium, opium den. Yeah. You know, yep. But according to the story, it's actually he was an alcoholic. He actually wasn't really an opium smoker. That, that's what they say. I don't know. I haven't done the okay. research myself. But yeah. Okay. Interesting. It's always fun to do that though. So do you do you find yourself doing more of that, doing what little shorter stories within like these anthologies rather than doing your own comic series again? 
Well, I'm going to see what's going to happen. Uh, I got a couple things I'm looking at. There's a graphic novel I'd like to do. Um, but you know, sort of, and, and um, Joe Corallo, who's an editor and a, and a writer, um, he's been great. He really brought me back into comics, actually, almost single-handedly. He's just like, I don't know how he found, even found my work, or he's just a longtime fan of it. But he just started reaching out to me to do things. That's awesome. He had me do a story for this anthology in support of Planned Parenthood called Mine. Uh, and we do some other stuff, you know. And so that just kind of brought me back somewhat. And I'm really delighted because I love doing comics. It's one of my that's, favorite kinds of work to do. That's great to hear. And, and We yeah. should say that in between that time, you developed this other career as a novelist, correct? Well, I've written, I've written about seven or eight novels now. Um, won a couple of awards and stuff. And I've also I've been writing uh, tarot books for a long time. And the, the books came first, actually. Uh, my first novel and my first tarot book were both published in 1980. And the uh, tarot, the novel disappeared without a trace, pretty much. <laughs> someone, someone was telling me that my first three novels were thought to be debut novels. <laughs> the first two were forgotten immediately. Uh, but then the third one won a big award, so that was kind of nice. But, um, but then also my first tarot book was published in 1980 as well, almost exactly the same time. And that book's been in print ever since. And sold all over the world. I've heard a lot of great things about that book, but I, I myself, I have no idea what a tarot book is. So yeah. can you explain that a little bit? Well, you know, tarot cards are these mysterious 78 cards with pictures on them. And people use them for fortune telling, but they have a much deeper level of tradition, including uh, cult mysteries and, and uh, alchemy and, you know, magical transformations. And, um, and they're also just, beautiful images, you know. And so I just started getting into it when I got a deck. I loved it. And I started making stuff up, inspired by the pictures. And eventually I started teaching a class. And then out of the class came my first book. And so in my book, what was always, the thing about that time was tarot writing was split between strict fortune telling book. You know, this card means this. If you get this card, it means such and such, you know. Right. Next card, you know. And books on the occult, which are impossible to read unless you have already a very deep base of knowledge of all these traditions. Um, and there was a huge gulf between them. And I was in, interested in the cards um, as psychological, as reflections of ourself, but also very much as, um, how to say this, as going very deep into it, so not just fortune telling, but staying with the psychological and the mythical and the spiritual rather than getting into esoteric and magical things. So no one had done that before, so it had a big impact and still does. Oh, that's, I get letters, I, I from, never, people, I get yeah. letters from people who say that it saved their lives. Wow. Yeah, two or three wow. times people told me this, that you know, they were, one person said, she's woman from Korea, she just wrote to me. I wrote her, I asked if I could use it in a book. She said, yes. And she just began by saying, I was lying in this bed staring at the ceiling all the time. Couldn't move, you know, couldn't do anything. Uh, and then uh, says, and then I found the tarot in your book, and that saved my life. Wow! Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing thing, that, you know. That is amazing. I mean, this is kind of the first time I've heard these stories from a writer, mm -hmm. and I mean, it's got to be amazing to hear those things. Yeah. So, Doom Patrol saved somebody, you know. This, yeah. Right. This transgender girl was going downhill really badly, you know, and yeah, the tarot book saved two or three people who were in really bad shape, you know. You're the person, you're the superhero of writers. <laughs> one person has a store in, in New England. We sell interesting, like you know, books and occult things and tarot decks. And so the first time I went there, 
I was just having a great time in the store. And he was showing me around, you know. And I think I told him who I was. And I signed some books for him, you know. And I was admiring uh, Caduceus, that thing with the two snakes wound around uh, mm -hmm. stick, you know. Yep. And silver with a opus, opal, I think it was a beautiful piece, actually topaz. And I, looked, I said, well, I put a bit beyond my means. I gave it to him to put back. He said, keep it. I said, what? He said, keep it. I said, why? I said, you saved my life. Just like wow. that. Yeah. Wow. He also said, I think he, his partner had died of cancer or something, and he was going downhill really badly. And then he, you know, found some people to help, you know, and then he also, um, you know, found the cars and he found my book, and that just pulled him out of it, you know? Wow. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's an amazing experience to have someone tell you that. It's, you yeah. Know, that is. That's, I mean, that's got to feel the power great. of art. Yeah. yeah. And I wow. love that the other place that happened was comics. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's, that is pretty amazing. Especially, like you said, at, the, at a time when people almost looked down at it. Right. And tarot cards also at that time. Were very yeah, tarot cards. Yeah, right, right. It's only very, very recently that tarot cards have gotten any kind of respect at all in the public forum, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they, what are they seeing as like some weird mysticism or something like that? Oh, just, or... just, just cheap fortune-telling tricks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so the New York Times, if it ever mentioned a tower, it was always in one of two contexts. Mm. One was, um, you know, gullible, stupid people who are cheated out of fortunes uh. by fake fortune tellers. You know. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the other was, it was doing an article about the failures of people to predict the stock market or to yeah. predict elections. They say you might as well go see a tarot reader. <laughs> you know. Oh so right. that was the two ways oh. they. But recently, they've had articles about the tarot and becoming popular. And, That's great. And, and that woman uh, who was on um, Jeopardy, who became the first woman to win over a million dollars, and she was a fan of my work and mentioned it. So that was kind of nice, you know. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, go ahead, Chris. So I was just going to say, so you would – you had all these novels come out, and then you said, um, so after you left Vertigo, you wrote more novels. You kind of went back into that space. Yeah, I'd been doing, doing it all along, too. I'd done some stuff while I was at Vertigo, um, but then I went back to writing novels and also writing uh, nonfiction books, tarot, and related subjects. I've written my most recent count was, I think it's 45, 46 books. Some of which are very obscure, but some of which, you know, have done really well or have gotten attention. So that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of output. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I love writing. It's like it's my life to write. So yeah, I've been publishing for a long time now. So yeah. And then you you mentioned you kind of got back into comics recently, and you've done some yeah. anthology work um, and all that. Yeah. But you've also kind of mentioned that there's some other things, maybe more long form, that you're looking to do. Is any of that in the works currently, or can you talk about any of that? Well, right now we're looking to do a reissue of a comic called Time Breakers that um, I, we, I and Chris West and the artist did for uh, Stuart Moore's Helix imprint. He looked for the science fiction offshoot of Vertigo. Yep. And that was about time travel. And I loved doing it. I thought uh, Chris's art was incredible, one of the best artists I've ever worked with. So we'd like to sort of have a reissue of that, you know, with somebody. We have the rights, and we're going to see if that can be done. But I'd really interested in doing a sequel to that, possibly. Um, you know, the further adventures kind of thing. So there's that, and then some other things that are a little bit vague at the moment, but the Mexican Day of the Dead sort of novel, a graphic novel, 
it's something I really love to do. Yeah. That sounds very interesting too. Plus, I, there's a, one or two of my short stories I thought of doing graphic novel adaptations of, which is really be. I would I'd love to do that as well. As, are those and, like fantasy fantasy short stories or? The stories inspired by mythology. Okay. So, so basically, I take a famous myth from like ancient Sumeria or something like that, and then I sort of bring it into a kind of. So not, they're not just the gods are not now real people. They're still gods, but mm -hmm. they're in the real world. Okay. In one particular story called Forever, it's um, the goddess of death loses a bet with her sisters, the goddess of earth and sky, um, no, of ocean and sky. And, um, and so because if she lost this bet, she has to live in the body of a human woman for 24 hours. And she thinks it'll be horrible, but at least it'll be over very quickly. And then... When Susie's in there, she forgets who she is. And so she thinks she's this woman who's having all these struggles and difficulties and having weird dreams and stuff, you know? And then, then she falls in love with this woman. She meets some guy and goes out with him. And not necessarily sexual love, but a kind of, you know, friendship, romantic love with his sister. Um, and then the sister gets sick. And meanwhile, there's this healing tree that someone has been writing about. Um, magical healing. And so the goddess of death, who doesn't know she's the goddess of death, decides to take her sick friend to this tree mm -hmm. to cheat death. And oh, yeah, wow. that, that was a, cool. one of my favorite stories. And if, if that could be adapted to some others, it would be just to adapt as well. So. Wow. Yeah, that sounds yeah. interesting. Cool. I think a lot very of my cool. stories have a kind of very visual comic book kind of level. I was going to say, yeah, that's what yeah. it sounds like. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I see them, you know, as well as mm -hmm. conceptualize them. Mm -hmm. So cool. I think my lifetime reading comics influences you know, everything I write. It may even be why I'm able to write tar about tarot in the way that people can really connect to. I was going to say, because there's a connection to the art as well. Yeah, words and pictures. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm -hmm. I never thought wow. about that, but I, yeah, yeah, it's quite possible that. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. So I think a good way to uh, kind of wrap us up here would be to ask you, is there any way you could see yourself coming back to some of the stuff you, like the DC stuff you did in the past, like uh, another Doom Patrol run or maybe or even just to. a little short story <laughs> or yeah. something like I, that? I, I don't know how much DC wants me to, but I would, I would love to do it. Yeah, that'd be great. Really? I, oh, as far man. as I know, I have no contacts there now. Okay. Uh, the people I know have all gone on to other things, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I picture the. the I, would, I would love doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I picture the big number issue where they get everyone to come back, and then let's bring back <laughs> Rachel for one four-page story oh, sure. or something. Yeah, that would yeah, be great. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, it's funny you say that because I think a lot of a lot of people from that time are doing smaller indie indie publishing stuff or yeah. publishing their own stuff, and it and it's almost something to be said about the state of storytelling in comics now is. Uh, the big two aren't really taking risks or yeah. you know, doing crazy things that a lot of us still enjoy. We we want to have yeah. fun comics and stuff yeah. that yeah. break the norm, and we don't really see that nowadays. So, well, it's such a huge business now. Yeah, you right. know, because both of them are you know they're part of something much bigger, but the much bigger is right. gigantic businesses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when the yeah. when something gets that big, they don't take a lot of chances. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because can you imagine now? Like, let's just take Marvel since they're the bigger of the two right now. Mm -hmm. You're at Marvel and you walk in. You're like, I got this idea for this character. He's gonna have a giant cod piece with a cannon on him. 
And then some execs like, I don't think that's going to work as a movie. <laughs> <laughs> How can we make a three movie deal out of that? <laughs> oh, I'll tell oh, you something God. I always wanted to do. Um, at, when I Doom Patrol, that uh, they told me we couldn't do. It was mm-hmm. called the Dead Quartet. And the Dead Quartet were four dead people who come back to people in trouble to help them. It was based on the fact that people claim that Elvis Presley appears to them when they're down and out, when the Virgin Mary appears to people, when they're okay. desperate. So yep. it was going to be Elvis Presley, the Virgin Mary, and I think I can't remember who the other two were back then. I later did it as a story, and I had uh, Nelson Mandela, and I forget who the other woman was. Oh, um, Princess Di. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> anyway, so the idea, my story, the Dead Quartet got sick of, you know, ungrateful people, you know, helping ungrateful people. They decided to become villains. <laughs> <laughs> and so Zubatrol have to defeat the Virgin Mary Elvis Presley. <laughs> uh, and and DC said, No, we can't do this. Um we can't run afoul of the Catholic Church. Yeah. And, and the Graceland people are ferocious. Yeah, you don't, you don't want to mess with them. Like you never saw, yeah. you know. So we oh, okay. yeah. you don't mess with Graceland. <laughs> yeah. And they pointed out oh, something, well. something interesting. If you see a story in which Elvis Presley is a character, they often mm-hmm. don't call, call him the king. Yeah, because the name Elvis Presley is not just is trademarked. Really, you cannot use the name Elvis Presley without permission from Graceland. Isn't that wild? Wow. That's I did not know. That's what they wow. pointed out to me. Mm. So when that I did the story, wild. I did in fact. I think I actually might have called him Elvis. I'm not sure my story. Yeah. But it was a story published in a, in a magazine, a science fiction magazine, so it was not going to get the same kind of attention. Right, as right. A comic book, you know. That's so funny. Oh man, that is awesome. <laughs> That would have been yeah. wild. <laughs> yeah, I can see where they get a little upset about fighting the Virgin Mary. I would have, I would have yeah, found it. Yeah, better. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would have been awesome. down for that. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I want to read that now. Like, oh, I, Actually, I need to read that. My first published short story, um, way back in what was it 1971? I guess it was. Um, was a story about um, the Virgin Mary, among other things, and and in it, um, this woman. Is she's arrested by the vagina police for improper orgasm. <laughs> uh, this was back when Masters and Johnson were doing all these physiological studies of orgasms, you know? Oh my god, yes. Actions were 7.8 seconds apart and stuff like this, you know? Oh, <laughs> wow. Anyway, so, but then, then it turns out that the, the men arresting her are actually angels because, in fact, oh. they're trying to restore her memory that she's a Virgin Mary. Oh and my she's god. come back to Earth to warn people of this monster beast. It was this evil slouching beast coming, waiting to be born, which comes from WB Yeats' poem, the second comic. Yeah. You know? And and in it, in my story, um, the angels say, oh, hell, hell, the virgin, oh, hell, the virgin. She goes, oh, God, they still think that about me? They haven't learned the truth yet? Uh, <laughs> so good. So the implication in my story was she was a slut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is amazing. That just, that reminds me of the movie Dogma, where I think it was oh, Chris God, Rock yeah. Yeah, it was like, like yeah, the Virgin Mary was a virgin when Jesus was born, but to think that a married couple never got down. <laughs> Someone told me recently that, in fact, to keep her purity intact for the church dogma, she was a virgin for all her births. For Jesus' brother James, for his sister, you know? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so Joseph must have been one pissed off guy, you know? He was the first yeah. incel. 
There we go. There's the origin. <laughs> I can see the story coming out of that for sure. What if what if what if Codpiece descended from Oh no. Or better yet, Codpiece Codpiece makes the inside movement big and this mysterious man lurking around. It's oh Joseph. And it's Joseph. Oh no. He's been around all this time. Oh my god. In the he's shadows. The, he's a wandering Jew. <laughs> <laughs> he's never got he's never got laid, so he can't die. <laughs> you know, that story that story about the Virgin Mary, where it comes from, I was teaching at a college and mm -hmm. um one of my good friends was a graduate student who had a part time job there and um he was a former uh former um Jesuit candidate. Okay. And he tried and the Jesuits are wild people apparently. You know, he was wild. He had the greatest sense of humor. His, you know, we we would just trade these wild things back and forth. You know, so that story was inspired by my conversations with him. It was really fun. <laughs> yeah, I, that's that's awesome. That is so uh, that's, that's wild. Phenomenal. Yeah. So Rachel, yeah. we don't want to take up too much of your time. We appreciate every second oh, you've given us. Yeah. Thank fun. you so much. Yeah. Is there? Do you do anything online? Is there anywhere people can follow you um, um, if they want to see I, your work? I have a website that's under revision for some time. It's just rachelpollock.com. I have a um, blog, which I haven't, it's, haven't used in a long time. There's a lot of old stuff in it, which people might be interested in. That's uh, rachelpollock.wordpress.com. Otherwise, I'm on Facebook uh, fairly often. Okay. Um, I, don't, okay. I don't really like doing Twitter and um, others that much, because I like to do long stuff. I, so I can do longer things on Facebook. But... Um, and my friends are about full, but people can follow me, and we'll see what see what I'm doing. Awesome, great. Yeah. Awesome. So, everybody out there, I'll have the links down below for those, um, so you can check out all of Rachel's work. Yeah, uh, make sure to go check it all out. Rachel, thank you so much for taking the time with us. Thank you oh, for humoring two guys who like to joke yeah. around about codpiece. Oh, yeah, we appreciate every much. second this you give us. I love that. I just love that you two guys exist. You know. <laughs> I mean, that brings me so much joy. <laughs> yeah, because like you know, it's usually not the villains that get so much attention. You know. Yeah. Oh my god. And not such a crazy villain. And we're back. Okay. Um, usually, this is the point where we tell you to check out uh, Rachel's latest book, but um, you can check out the stuff she's written. Uh, I do recommend the New Gods Run that she co-wrote with uh our good buddy my good buddy tom pyre tom pear uh whichever you prefer and uh obviously her doom patrol run that includes codpiece yeah read that it's also shit. if you uh like the books without the little pictures in it she's a very accomplished mm -hmm. novelist as well oh so. yeah very accomplished she's got a lot of books out she's won uh several eisners so yeah check it out uh, comic book news. We got a little bit here. Sad, very sad news coming up. But uh, Frank Miller and Dan Didio are teaming up for a new publishing line called Frank Miller Presents. The new publisher will feature new creator-owned comics, but start with continuations of Sid Sinny and Ronin. So this this is Frank Miller going to every publisher and being like, "Listen, guys, I got more for Sin City," and they're like, "Frank, stop, just." We don't want any more Sin City. Like, you, you finished. Sin City's done. Like, you, you did the whole Dame to Kill for. It, we, we're done. But he's like, no. I'm going to 
fine, I'll publish it myself. And that's what's happening. Uh, I'm not excited for these. I'm going to read the fuck out of these. <laughs> okay. So we have two opposite opinions here. Um, um, I'm not super excited for them, honestly. Uh, but Ronin's one of those books that I just adore. I wonder how he's going to do more of it because it kind of has a very finalized ending. Doesn't he die at the end? I believe so. It's been a minute since I read it uh, yeah. front to back. Um, but Sin City, I can see how you can do more. I just don't know why you'd want to. Um, yeah. But if this is what gets people in the door for another creator-owned publishing line, fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially if apparently the mission is to have like books that appeal to Frank Miller's sense of storytelling, which if that's mm. true and that works okay. out, I'm in because I'm obviously a, a mark for Frank Miller's stuff, especially his earlier stuff. Um, I mean, most of his work has been so influential in everything that I read that I'm always going to apologize for Frank Miller. <laughs> um, I thought it was funny that right as his uh, NDA ends, that Dan Didio announces this, and he's now a part of this. Yeah. Um, anyone doesn't know, he hasn't been able to talk about anything for like two years mm-hmm. uh, because of his ties at DC. So I'm interested. I, I I think the most interesting part of this is I want to hear Didio go off about what happened behind the scenes of DC. And I feel like we're yeah. going to get that now. Yeah, I wish we could talk to him about it. That'd be sick. But... Yeah, come, I'm, Dan. come talk yeah, shit come about on. DC we'll, with me. <laughs> I'll chat with you, Dan. <laughs> uh, okay, sad news. Very sad news. Uh, comic book legend... And just an overall good dude. I mean, I think almost every almost every con I went to, I would see Neil Adams there doing art and chatting with people. He sadly passed away this week, age 80. Uh, so influential. I mean, he's such a long list of uh, comics that he's done. I mean, he's known for his Batman art. Um, he, really, he really took Batman and just... And just brought it to another level with his art. I mean, it's so influential. You talk about Frank Miller. Uh, this guy, I think, is just as influential for artists, uh, for sure, um, without a doubt. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's you could almost every every story, every run at DC, you could pick out some Neil Adams uh, art or at least influence from it. So. Very sad stuff. I didn't even know he uh, was sick. I don't know how how it happened or what, but it's still really sad. I mean, he's yeah, but uh, it's still good that I mean we have all his art to you know for him to live through eternally. So that's that's always good. Yeah, I think Neil's even though he's not my cup of tea per se, mm-hmm. he's one of the most influential creators of the modern comics era. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know like we always talk about Miller and the, the dark Knight book, mm-hmm. which to me is like a huge book, but that kind of, that influenced the the nineties into now, but right. You wouldn't have gotten there without Neil. And, um, yeah, it's tough to even talk about one thing with Neil, because then you talk about his, uh, his green arrow, green lantern run. Mm hmm. 
Um, you talk about all the stuff he did at Marvel. It just everything he touched was gold. Um, mm-hmm. uh, minus the recent stuff, but um, <laughs> I'll say I got a chance to meet Neil years ago. I got a signed copy of the the aforementioned uh, Green Arrow Green Lantern book from him, and he was super nice. He was super busy. He had a huge booth, but he took the time to at least say hey to everybody and shake hands. Um. And I think what's biggest with him was how he went out of his way to stand up for creators back when it wasn't cool to stand up for creators. Mm -hmm. Um, There wasn't a Twitter back then to like cheer him on. He was just a guy doing what he felt was the right thing. And uh, I think that at the end of the day should and will be his legacy um, Mm -hmm. moving forward. Something to be said too about how influential he was and how he was almost one of those guys to like not be put in a position like Jim Lee or any or like you know the McFarlands or like be in some type of like higher up editorial position or like you know it, it's almost kind of strange of how like you know he's always sticking up for people but also he never made it to that like corporate up that corporate ladder and I'm sure there's some there's I some, think that's why he didn't make it yeah. up that corporate ladder yeah exactly. So, and, and he there was always, easily, yeah, there was always the joke later on because even people I knew who were like huge Neil Adams fans, mm-hmm. um, would admit that some of the stuff he did like during new 52, remember how he always had that book that like wasn't continuity, but it right. was like Batman and Ra's al Ghul again. Yeah. And, uh, even his fans were kind of like, yeah. Um, and I don't mean to shit out him. I just, we always had the joke that. That was DC being like, let's just give Neil a bunch of money to shut the hell up. <laughs> he was that guy who would yeah. always be like on top of them about the stuff. Right, so. right, right. Yeah. So, I mean, good on him for always fighting for what he believed in. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's, you can always tell what era his art came from. I mean, it's, it, like you said, it moved it from the seventies, eighties to the nineties and um, more, more modern, I would say. Yeah, and but, his design uh, on Batman is still like one of my favorites. That blue with the yeah, blue and gray blue, with the yellow symbol is yellow. just fantastic. Yeah, yeah it pops. Um, okay, let's talk about what we read this week, Chris. Uh, the most important book you'll read this year. I read Godzilla Power Rangers issue two by Colin Bunn and William II on art. Are you reading this? So I'm still in the middle of this whole th- uh, problem with my credit or my debit card. Oh, so that's right, that's right. I'm going to be light again this week on what I read. Okay, no problems. This, yes. uh, so Godzilla and the Megazord are fighting because the Power Rangers have ended up on this other universe and they both like one punch each other and kill each other. But before that, there's this be- big epic battle where the Power Rangers and the Megazord say, we need a sword. So they summon their giant sword and they like stab Godzilla through the chest with it. And like, they get blasted by the radiation. And so they both like fall back and like Godzilla goes down to the ocean. And as they're down, uh, it's not Monarch, but it's these other people that like the, the people that have teamed up with Rita, um, that want to kill Godzilla, start blasting everyone with their UFOs while they're like down for the count to like finish them off. And that's when the power Rangers realize shit, man, we shouldn't have fought Godzilla because there's this other power here trying to, like, screw people over. So they, like, hijack one of the UFOs um, 
and get on there because they've actually Rita's captured the, the green Ranger. Um, but they go to the spaceship to save him, And then that, that group of people releases gig on the other Kaiju villain. So I think this book, we're going to see more and more villains. And I know Colin Bunn specifically talks about ones that he's liked in the past. So Gigon is probably one of them. Uh, so they have to fight Gigon, but then Rita summons a couple of her uh, putty monsters and they're, they're famous ones from the uh, like popular ones from Power Rangers. And I can't remember what they are, but she summons them like beside the Godzilla creature Gigon. So it's like them two together and they have to like fight it again with the Megazord. It was pretty dope. Uh, yeah, Colin's Colin's just having a lot of fun with this book, man. It's so cool. That book sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so awesome. Yeah, just like just the spectacle of it is fucking great. And I even I was talking to someone at work about it who's not into comics, and we were talking about Godzilla movies and Power Rangers, and I was like, dude, there's a comic book out right now where the the Dragon Zord fights Godzilla, and they're like, that sounds so fucking cool. And I was like, yeah, it is. So go read it. Um, Dark Knights of Steel issue six, Tom Taylor and Putri on the art. Have you read this? No. Nope. Okay. Uh, I won't spoil too much for you here. I mean, Constantine, they focus on him a little bit. They talk about the whole Tim Drake thing working for, uh, the, um, I want to say the, there's the L's and then there's, I don't know who the hell they call the, like the, uh, lightning people. Um, but anyway, oh, the storms. So Diana says that her mom will side with the storms over the elves because they've always had a pack, even though Diana loves uh, Kara. Um, there, but there's a there's a plan from the elves side, uh, like the the super uh, Superman side, to kill Queen Hippolyta, uh, so that Diana will be the new queen. She can get them to side with each other. Um, Constantine summons Entrigan, <laughs> who, uh, pretty cool because Entrigan is Razagul because he wants to bring back, um, the Storm King, but he says, no, he's pretty much dead. I can probably bring back the Prince though. Um, but he says, I will trade you for the Titans. I know they're hidden somewhere. So the Teen Titans are a group and they're being hidden somewhere as these like special children with powers, which is pretty fucking cool. Uh, Cal tries to stop the Amazons and it's weird because like him and Kara truly believe they have not done anything wrong because, you know, he's killed Batman and Kara's killed uh, the storm fleet. And mm-hmm. it's almost like they're being possessed because they really don't think they've done anything wrong. Um, but so he goes to meet them and Hippolyta just stabs him in the chest with a sword <laughs> And they, like, chain him up and capture him, which is pretty awesome. You don't expect Superman to get, like, subdued like that. But it's all magic, right? Magical weapons. So, um, he's captured. And that's where he meets Lois Lane, who's part of the Amazons, which is pretty cool. And then the Amazons are heading to fight the elves. So, fucking great issue. Who magically would have something to benefit from all them fighting? Because your possession thing sits with me now. I'm like, I wonder if somebody's well, possessed them and it's going to be like about, the... We talked about the green man in the first issues, right? And he kind of disappeared, right? Did he disappear? Or did they kill? I can't remember what happened to him. Oh, no, yeah, because they introduced someone like issue four and then we haven't seen him yeah. since. 
So, so maybe, he, maybe someone just yeah. wants to sow chaos. Yeah. Yeah. And that would be the Joker, right? Yeah. Because my thought was somebody yeah. coming in and being like, I'm going to start this little war and then I'm going to come in. I'm going to take over. Right. Like the, and, um, like Dinklage there. Yeah. <laughs> not di- he it, didn't really do that. I mean, it, but could the, be, it could be like Merlin or something. Cause I mean, we are in the, the, you know, the middle ages and Merlin is a character from DC, especially pretty popular with the justice league dark right now. So it could be something like that. So is like Lancelot a thing in DC? I don't. I'm not sure. I mean, they, they talked about Knights of the round table and the justice league dark and stuff like that. So I think all those stories are kind of like up for grabs pretty much. Hmm. Yeah. That's kinda intriguing. Like, oh, I can't wait to read. I love the series. I just, yeah, I'm again, it's to digitally, really, it's so really, yep. It's a really good issue. Um, rogues too was really good they basically make it to you get to see girl you know the the whole story behind the rogues was uh they want to rob gorilla island uh and they make it there and we find out some stuff about it so um and we get to see gorilla grod it's like the gorilla island is more like wall street than anything (laughs) Uh, which is pretty funny to see so um it was a great issue i'm loving that book it's Gorilla Grodd, Rogue. like, all old and have Trump hair now? No, he's got, like, a business <laughs> suit on, though, and he's, like, sitting around this business meeting, and, like, they're, expect- they're like, where do you think the money is? And there's, like, this giant bank <laughs> that looks like something out of, like, Washington, D.C., and he's like, I think that's where all the money is. Um, if I ever Rogue find Sun- who took my card online, I'm going to fucking punch him, because this is yeah. a great week of comics, and I miss so yeah. many. <laughs> Yeah, it's a really good week. <laughs> Rogue Sun 3, I will say, I'll start a trail off of this book. This book really got me back into the story. It kind of develops the whole universe of Rogue Sun and people that were like, that used to support him before he gave up the mantle. So it was a great issue. We meet some new characters and we find out who really killed the father. Um, and it's someone within the family. So pretty great issue. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, this is the ju- death of the Justice League this week, folks. Um, and that's pretty much it. They die. No, um, this is, uh, it kind of, it, it pretty much picks up right after justice league incarnate. Uh, so if you're reading that, you're enjoying that, you'll like this issue. They, um, they show up to meet, uh, oh man, I can never remember the hell his. So, uh, he, I can't remember this guy's name. The, the bad guy from justice league incarnate. Oh, pariah. So Pariah shows up and he has a whole dark army that has like, you know, a bunch of iconic villains in like dark form. So the Justice League's fighting them. And then Pariah, like they start defeating the the whole dark army he has. And Pariah is finally like, oh, well, I'm just strong enough to kill you. So he like vaporizes all of the Justice League and the only person to that's uh, survived. Well, not all the Justice League. So like the uh, the Flash and Superboy and some of the like some of the people like detective chimp firestorm are at, are at the um, hall of justice and black Adam gets transported back. And he says the justice league are dead. And then it says continued in dark crisis. Number one. So like uh, Superman, wonder woman, uh, Batman are gone. Green lantern. John Stewart. Aquaman. Yep. It sounds like uh, uh, the single player mode and super smash brothers. All the dark yeah. versions come. Yeah, pretty much. That's what it is. <laughs> uh, Beneath Us. This was a Kickstarter from uh, 
Afterlight Comics. This, these are the people that did Moth Hill. They're a horror imprint, or not an imprint, just a horror publisher. Basically, really good story. The art is kind of creepy. It follows a town that gets hit by a tsunami, but something supernatural is happening there uh, with these weird monsters that are like killing people. This group of people that are uh, prison inmates go as like a um, like therapy to go help these people that have been like their their town has been like destroyed and some weird shit starts happening and that's kind of where it leaves off. It was a great first issue. And then Saga. Um, all you really need to know, I forget what issue number this is, 58. Uh, you see some penis in this issue. I know everybody cares. Um, some luscious penis. Yeah. Did you read this? I did. Okay. Uh, so what's what's the big takeaway? I mean, the the robot kingdom, or I guess it's not the robot kingdom. I don't know. One of the um, one of the mercenaries gets told I think it's that landfall. Landfall. Okay. It's the wherever the wing people come from. They're trying to okay. find um, the the half the, the little girl, the main character of the story. Yeah, they want to kill her. So then they highlight all the main all the the B level characters from the past, and they want to kill them off. Yeah, the mom sells drugs, the little girl plays guitar, and their the uncle character's past is coming back to haunt them. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, they show everybody that they've met in this, like, collage at the end. And mm-hmm. if they kill Goose, I riot. Gus? They kill Gus, Gus. I'm out. Gus, yeah, I Goose. riot. I'm out, I'm done. Yeah. Uh, and man? I- that was kind of like that was that was kind of just a lame literary device to me to be like okay we just took this huge break where you kill the main character right and you confirm that he's dead whatever because uh, we talk about it almost every issue and then you're like okay now we got you to this point of the story we're gonna tell more story and then the story ends up being we're gonna kill all those other characters that you loved <laughs> from the past it's like come on guys like there's got to be more going on uh, yeah like gus better be able to defend himself and kill them uh yeah they better just leave gus alone there's got to be more like there's got to be something with the the government because obviously the governments are getting involved now once again yeah right um i actually thought all in all this is one of the better issues since they returned yeah i think so mm-hmm. Less, it really less, just like- it just move the story. It didn't worry about mm-hmm. the bullshit. It didn't worry about right. like putting in some one liner that I didn't care about. Just move the story along. And it got some plot points that I'm intrigued in moving forward. I especially I'm the uncle. Not, I'm still not. Yeah. I like the uncle. I'm still not convinced Marco's dead because of magic. So even though they said, Oh, molecular level, we tested the skull and it's his blah, blah, blah. Still not convinced. Uh, because they wouldn't keep going back to it so often. You know what I mean? Like, we yeah, see I can the see skull. We, we keep hearing about the skull. Everybody's confirmed. Like, there there has to be a one-up that they have. Like, a you know, a, a secret weapon here that they're not talking about. Um, yeah. Yeah, and the little girl even says, um, there's been many people that take his place throughout my yeah. life. Some good, some not so good. Yeah. And that kind of foreshadowed to me that, like, something else is going... Like, obviously, we're going to get more male characters coming through, father figures coming through for her. Right, right. Um, but, yeah, that was an okay issue. Mm-hmm. Just don't kill Gus. Yep. Yeah, don't kill Gus. 
Um, that's all I had this week for now. Some stuff I still got to read. Oh, and I read Odin's Eye, number one, because uh, I do have that really great art. is fantastic. Really heavy lore about Odin and all the um, the Norse gods. It's, it was pretty awesome and super metal. So check it out if you can find it. Got Batman Beyond the White Knight, number two. Oh, um, this issue basically centers around Bruce and him like meeting up with the Joker. And we find out that the Joker actually during his fight with Azrael planted a chip in Bruce's brain so that he can project himself through Bruce's eyes. You know, some real comic book science shit going on. Yeah. That's uh, heavy. heavy (laughs) But it creates this like inner monologue for Bruce where he's talking with Joker and nobody else can see him. Oh, and then we get kind of a, we get Dick hunting him down and finally finding him and them having their kind of father son anger moment where Dick feels like he's doing the right thing and that Bruce was always wrong and Bruce feels the other way around and blah blah mm-hmm. blah. Um, we also get the conflict between uh, Dick and Babs uh, because Barbara Gordon um, because Barbara went with the the police. And Dick went with the GTO and that kind of got in the way of their relationship growing up. Um, but the big reveal here is at the end, uh, Bruce gets to one of his little mini bat caves. Cause of course he has so many, of course. And we find out that where he was hiding his last like ditch effort in case something happened was underneath Harley's uh, house. And we, it's revealed that he's got a suit under there, so he's going to get in the suit again and be Batman again. Mm-hmm. And then we also get the the shocking reveal at the end that uh, Bruce is married to Harley. Which I get the feeling is just like a, one of those things where he did it just to like protect her and give her all these things so she could take care right. of her kids. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Thor number 24, a.k.a. 750. Uh... <laughs> This was just a, it's the funeral of Odin. So in the last issue, Odin died and we get the funeral with all the different Asgardians. And then throughout the issue, different creators from Thor past come in and tell like little mini stories. So Thor opens up the the book of the gods that only the, the king of Asgard can read. And his decision is to read it to everybody. Um, a few passages about Odin. And then we get like Walt Simonson does a story in here. Jason Aaron does a story. Al Ewing does a story. Um, all fun and really good. But the main story with Donnie and Nick was that intro. And then the ending where we find out that Thor isn't exactly dead per se. That when you remember in the last issue of Hulk, when you saw the messed up hammer. Mm-hmm. So when Thor destroyed the hammer, at the same time Odin had died, when he recreated the hammer, he trapped Odin's soul inside the hammer. Mm. So now it's Odin inside the hammer. Okay. And Thor's telling him that he needs, you know, he needs to leave, he needs to go, go to um, Valhalla and be free and all that stuff. And that's when Thor reveals to him that there's nothing in Valhalla anymore. It's just the door was destroyed. It's an empty land with nobody there mm. so that kind of leads into whatever donnie's doing next for that so i'm cool. excited for that 
Awesome. And my last issue, <laughs> trigger warning everybody, it's going to be a little political. Biden's Titans versus Q. Wow. Wow. So in this issue, um, Biden's Titans, uh, Biden's dog Major dies, and he finds out that Q is the one responsible for it. So he goes to his best buddy, Bernie Sanders, who <laughs> is connected to the multiverse. Oh, wow. So Bernie connects to the multiverse to reveal to him that if he goes down to Texas, that he will it'll be revealed that JFK is going to be back alive and Q is going to appear there. When they go down there, they run into the great Joe Rogan and they have a little back and forth. And that's when uh, Pete Buttigieg, dressed up as a cowboy, reveals <laughs> that a portal is opened and a <laughs> JFK from another dimension comes through and reveals himself to be Q. And then he reveals that he's not the only Q, that there's Qs everywhere. And then a giant Godzilla Q comes through and Biden grows using his erection powers. Oh my God. And fights the Godzilla. After he kills the Godzilla and the rest of the team shows up, it is revealed through the Star Trek character Q. <laughs> okay. That Q was not responsible for Major's death. That who is really responsible is Dracula. Wow. So in the next issue, Biden's Titans will fight Dracula. What the hell is going on? I fucking love this series. Oh my god, that's ridiculous. <laughs> that's insane, dude. Who thinks of this shit? I highly wow. recommend anybody. So every issue is a number one. And okay. that started because the, the series started as Trump's Titans. And every issue is a number one because number ones are the best. Right. So proclaims Trump. <laughs> awesome except for the one issue where there's number two and it's the donald who laughs number two. Oh my god amazing keen spot knows what's up awesome all right Mike. <laughs> that's amazing that's all i had this week uh where can people find you on the internet you can find me at fortress ricker on twitter where can they find you and or the show you can find me at Fortress Chris on Twitter. You can find the show at Fortress Comics on Twitter. Also, FortressComicNews.com. Remember, everybody, give us a five-star review on the podcatcher. Like, subscribe, share, comment down below on the YouTube. And if you want to go to Extra Mile, Patreon.com slash Fortress Comics. Thank you all so much for watching and listening this week. We'll see you all here next week.